This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Be kind to yourself. We don't have to go from zero to a hundred. You know, we need to acknowledge that what we've just been through, what we are still going through, is stressful and how much that affected our lives. So, you know, not subscribing to the pressure that your calendar needs to be packed full again. And so we don't need to have our calendar full. We can take the time to ease back into things. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Bussin, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn about women's health over 50. We'll discuss how to entertain sustainably. We'll find out how to avoid injuries going back to the gym. And lastly, we'll explore how to reduce anxiety as the world opens up. But first, a little bit of business. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian-owned and has been GMP-certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all-natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site-licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings, and he's a popular regular on the show. Welcome back, Gordon. How are you? Very good, Jamie. Nice to speak to you again. Always great. So last month was all about me and my cohort, which are men over 50, And that is manifestly unfair, Gordon. Equal time, equal rights. Let's talk about women's health over 50, or as you like to put it, aging gracefully, right? Definitely. And you know what? It's by rights we should be speaking about women's health too, because you know what? They are 50% of the population. Yeah, exactly. I should say approximately 50, right? I think when we start getting older, I think women outnumber the men eventually, right? For sure. So we should try and deal with their health issues. So where do you want to start today with women's health issues? What I would like to speak about, again, with women as they grow older, as like we all grow older, everything changes. Digestion changes, skin changes, bone density changes, hormonal system changes, right? And I know everybody's looking for the one magic bullet. I've always said to everybody, there is no such thing as one magic bullet. Everybody wants to take one thing and it cures everything. I said, no, it doesn't work that way. Other than I would say to everybody, exercise, you got to exercise, right? Some people like to exercise, some people don't like to exercise. All right, but whether you like it or not, you got to exercise. Eating well is a big plus too, right? There are people who live on processed foods and people who live on more, I mean, for themselves, they eat more healthy, etc. Mm-hmm. I would say if your diet is high in processed foods, get out of that. Start eating some real food, I call it, right? Yeah. But in spite of all that, we still have issues because, you know, 
the body just degrades, right? Even if you're eating the right foods, like sometimes our bodies just won't allow us to take it in, right? Like like we just don't take in the vitamins the way we used to. We just don't. That's right. Even the digestive process, as I said, we produce less enzymes. And as I said, as you grow older, even the food that you're eating, you don't fully process it, right? So you feel bloated, etc. So it's a good idea to take some digestive enzymes. So people who suffer from bloating, etc., after eating, take some digestive enzymes. Right, mm-hmm. it's a good idea. It, there's a lot of them out there. All right, take something that has all the different digestive enzymes in there, meaning something for protein, something for carbs, and for fats. Right, there's a whole gamut of different um, digestive enzymes out there. Okay. Another thing that we should be looking at, since we're speaking about women health, osteoporosis. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And the women seem to well get more osteoporosis than men. Don't get me wrong, men get osteoporosis too, but it seems to be worse for women. Do women process the calcium differently? Is that what's going on? No, no. I think maybe a lot of it is because women don't traditionally do a lot of weight-type exercises right. or lift a lot of heavy things. That seems to be things that men do. And so because of that, right, as they grow older, they don't have the same stresses on their bones, so their bones deteriorate faster than men. This is just my little base theory, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there seems to be, a, you know, this is what I think is happening with a lot of women too, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the ways to increase your bone density do weight-bearing exercises, yes. right? And then also supplements. So you take your calcium, right? But some people just take calcium, magnesium, vitamin D, and stop there, right? But I said, no, you need to take, there's a whole bunch of tri- minerals that you should be taking, trace minerals, things like boron, molybdenum, copper, zinc. What these trace minerals do, sometimes some of them embed themselves in what's called the extracellular matrix that goes into formation of bone. Right, mm-hmm. and what it does is gives the bones resilience, meaning that you can bend it a little bit without breaking it. So it also gives the tensile strength. Right, mm-hmm. it gives it, you know, like you build a stronger bone for want of a better way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And I know the general press just talks about calcium and magnesium, right? You know, and as if that's a be all and the end all. No. Because if you don't have the trace minerals, the bone is is still brittle. It might be there, but it'll snap easily too. Right. right? So these are why you want the trace minerals. Right. Yeah, and, and just sort of circling back a tiny bit, you know, doing weight-bearing exercises, which doesn't mean using weights. It just means, you know, you could do body weight exercises. What you're doing right. is, is you're building muscle, and the muscle protects the bone, right? The more muscle That's you have, correct. the easier it is for your bones to do the job. You think it would be the reverse, but it's actually, it's better for your mobility. It's better for balance. It's just all around better. Sorry. That's I'm, I'm going to get down off my soapbox. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also for women, as I said, don't forget, you know, you get, look at your B vitamin status, right? Yeah. And look at things like vitamin C, vitamin E, right? All those things are important. Okay. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I like to just go into, I know, as with, especially for women, because it's a beauty thing, right? Yeah. They look at their skin, so they want better skin, right? They want nicer skin. Because as you grow older, one of the things is the underlying tissue, right, that supports the skin structure, basically deteriorates and do not repair as easily as when they were younger, right? So there are things that people have taken in the past, or not in the past, but take to help. Right? So things like hyaluronic acid, things like hydrolyzed collagen, right? all these things help with the skin. Right? Now, you have to remember, the rebuilding of the skin, you need 
other nutrients. So you need some vitamin C because what vitamin C does is that vitamin C is a necessary cofactor in the rebuilding of things like the underlying collagen tissue right. in the skin. Right? You need your B vitamins because the B vitamins is actually powering the enzymes that will go into making up the underlying collagen. Right? So you need all of those things. But what we also should realize is that as women get older too, the hormones don't work as well. Right? And the hormones, whether you like it or not, help control how well the enzymes work, also how well the collagen gets deposited, how well the collagen gets absorbed, etc. Mm-hmm. Right? All those things are, are driven by the hormones also. Right? And the hormonal system changes as women grow older too, just like men. Hormonal systems change. Right? Whilst we cannot necessarily reverse the hormonal change, right, we can try and help mitigate some of the hormonal change. So, for example, as women get older, the estrogen levels drop, right? Mm-hmm. Whilst we can give them extra estrogens, but we know that there's issues involved with, with human estrogens, etc. One of the ways we can help with some of these things is to use phytoestrogens. There, there are a lot of herbs that have compounds in them that, that have an estrogen effect, but they're not as powerful as real estrogens. Hence, we call them phytoestrogens from plants. Right? Okay. I call them estrogen wannabes, right? The pretend estrogens, but they're not as powerful as real estrogens. But when you have a shortage of estrogens in your body, every little bit extra helps. Right. So even though it's not the real thing, it's probably a better thing yeah. to take these supplements. I gather you can't get enough of these estrogens simply from food intake. Is that right? No. Again, no. I mean, that's why people take things like soybeans and that the tofu is very well known for estrogen effects, right? But there's some herbs that people have used that have been shown to provide phytoestrogens in the diet. So things like donkwai root, which is otherwise known as angelica sinensis, right? Maca root is also known very good. And also chase tree berry fruit, right? Mm-hmm. Those are some of the things that, that we should be to help boost our estrogen levels. Okay, so you're talking about three nutrients. Are those the type of nutrients you would find in a multivitamin, or, or do you, would you have to take them separately? Usually they're not found in a multivitamin, and usually uh, people will take them separately. But one of the biggest problems is that, like, for example, I take supplements, and we make a lot of supplements, yeah. but I can't take everything because I do not want to make veggie caps a significant part of my diet. So I, I get to pick and choose. Mm-hmm. Right. So anytime I find a product that has everything in it or most of the ingredients that I want in it, that's the one I migrate to. Right? Okay. Yep. So that's what we would like us. So and look for something that has some of these ingredients in there. And then also, you know, we as we get older, cognitive health is one of our biggest fears. Right. As you get older, the we uh, you know Alzheimer's is always in the back of my mind somewhere. Right. So I'm thinking, you know, there's things like ginkgo biloba you should take. Mm-hmm. Also, don't forget essential fatty acids, so fish oil. Now, I know one of the things about oils is that everybody's worried about the calorie content of oil, Yep. right? Mm-hmm. But one of the things is that, you know, it's a trade-off, right? Yes, there's calories associated with fats, but most of your tissue is fat. All of your cell membranes, your skin, the membrane, the components of skin is fat. I got one for you. Your brain needs fat. If you want That's to have, right. if you want to maintain your cognitive levels, you have to keep your brain up. And if, if you're not eating fat, that can impact the way your brain works. 
For sure. And this is why there was a time there when everybody said, no, cut fat out, you die, cut fat, you know. Mm-hmm. Saying, no, no, no. If you do that, you're doing yourself, it's worse for you than, than the few extra pounds that you put on with fat. It all boils down to how much you consume. Okay. okay? We need fat in our diet, but don't go to the extreme. Like some people say, we're going to cut every little bit of fat out of our diet. Right. No, you need fat, but you don't need to sit down there and eat a pound of lard, for example, or a pound of butter. Right. Right? You know, so these are some of the, the basic things that you should be able to do, right? Now, what, as you get older, too, as there are some of us who have problems with blood sugar levels. Yes. Right? One of the best things for that, exercise. Okay? Yep. Again, it depends on where you are in your diabetic range, right? Mm-hmm. There, For example, some of them, some people are pre-diabetic. If you do your exercise, it holds off really well. Some of us are in the post, meaning that you're already classified as diabetic, but you can control it with the medication. That works well, but you can supplement some of that medication with things like chromium, for example, is one of the things that help with to control blood sugar levels. Things like cinnamon also help control blood sugar levels. Okay? So you can help stabilize your blood sugar levels with those type of supplements. We've talked about fat, and I guess we're kind of talking about carbs right now, carbs and sugar. What about protein? Can women metabolize protein in the same way that they could when they're younger? Oh, oh yeah. We all metabolize protein well. And again, as we grow older, we tend to eat less protein. But what people don't realize is protein. Protein is, I mean, we don't absorb protein as protein. Every bit of protein we have in our body is resynthesized from protein that we absorb. So what happens, protein gets broken down into amino acids. That's the purpose of our digestive system. Mm-hmm. The amino acids then get absorbed, and then the body resynthesizes all the protein. Now, this seems like a waste, if you ask me, but Mother Nature has designed it such that this is how it has to happen. And if you think about it, also, if you take protein and was absorbed as protein, you probably have an anaphylactic reaction sooner or later because it's foreign protein coming in. But anyway, once you've made your, absorb your amino acids, you make your own protein. So every antibody in your body is made from protein. Your base, all your muscles is made from protein. So we need quite a bit of protein in our diet. And the, the million dollar question has always been, how much is too much? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there is a definitive answer there. It just depends on what you're doing. Like if you're a bodybuilder, for example, obviously you'd probably need more protein because you need to build a muscle. And if you're doing weight exercises, it's also a good idea to take more protein. If you are battling a disease, for example, uh, something like cancer, I would say you need to intake more protein because protein is what is going to be used to manufacture antibodies to fight off your disease, right? Mm -hmm. So all of these things, you need extra protein. But our biggest problem is as we increase the protein, protein sources are like usually meat. And if you eat meat, one of the biggest problems is that we have a hard time digesting it as we get older, right? Yeah. So two approaches, if you eat meat, take digestive enzymes with it. That will really help the digestive process. Mm -hmm. Or you can take other sources of protein which tend to be more easily digestible. Things like milk protein is one of the ones that is the easiest digested protein. That's why, you know, babies, you know, you can't give them a chunk of meat, but you can give them a lot of milk. We only have time for one last question, and that is, are the milk-based proteins easier to digest than the vegetable-based ones? 
Yes, I think so. Just milk-based proteins, how do digestive work? They look at certain linkages between amino acids. And the milk proteins, when you expose them to the acids in the stomach, hydrolyzes them, so it helps break them up, and it exposes some of these linkages. So dollar for dollar, bang for the buck, you will get better digestion of milk proteins than of the plant-based. But I know some of us have problems with dairy, so the next best thing is the plant-based proteins. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Will you come back again soon? Definitely. See you in a month. Fantastic. That was Dr. Gordon Chang. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Is menopause putting a damper on the little things that make your day? Are you tired of dealing with hot flashes, mood swings, and sleep disruptions? New Roots Herbal can help you take control of those annoying symptoms so you can feel better and enjoy life to the fullest. Discover Menopeace, Maca Organic, and Sleep 8 from New Roots Herbal. They use only the highest quality natural ingredients tested for purity and potency in an ISO-accredited lab. And you can find them at your local health food store. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Recently, brothers running a successful family business gave me a call. They've been hearing my commercials for over a year. Why did they finally phone me? Because they had incompletions. Shareholder agreement not done. Wills not done. Tax planning not done. Life insurance for their business and families not done. Most people have incompletions. We complete them. Call me. I'm Mark Halpern, WealthInsurance.com. WealthInsurance.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Candace Best has over 20 years of public relations and marketing communications experience, including with Canada's tier one companies in the financial and telecom sectors before starting her agency, Best PR. Candace has led PR for a range of lifestyle brands in beauty, fashion, food and beverage, health and wellness and travel. And today, Best PR focuses exclusively on serving purpose-driven, planet-conscious companies with a mission of elevating impact towards a more sustainable future. She's a champion for BIPOC communities and is committed to social impact initiatives aligned with the sustainable development goals aiming to create a better, fairer world by 2030. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Jamie. How are you? Good. I'm starting to get invited to parties. You? Yes. It's really picked up and it feels really good. Yeah. It's great to sort of be engaged in the world and, you know, it makes us want to hold events and have people over and and do that kind of stuff. And it got me thinking about whether sustainability is a factor for people when they're considering, you know, hosting get-togethers. What do you think? I definitely think it is, and it's interesting to really note the shift over the last, what, 16, 17 months since we've really been gathering at least the way we are now in Canada. You know, the climate crisis is becoming a more prevalent topic, whether that's in headlines or through our own experiences, Virgo seeing those smoky skies due to wildfires that uh, weren't even necessarily in our own immediate backyards or seeing photos of recent flooding in Europe. So the topic is top of mind. The encouraging news is that over the past 18 months, Jamie, around the world, as noted in a Forbes article from earlier this year, people have been adopting many new sustainable behaviors, 
wasting food a lot less is one of the most impactful actions that uh, many have started to take, uh, really considering the climate crisis. And overall, consumers are moving towards just a more eco-conscious mindset beyond food that's filtering through to fashion and home. And naturally, as we get back to more gatherings, how exciting, and inviting people back into our homes, it translates to entertaining as well. Okay. So if, if one, we're going to have some friends over for to celebrate something, maybe they've put it off over COVID and are sort of waiting for the moment, where would they start? I think it really starts with setting the tone with the invitation. So whether that's just by a, you know, a friendly text or an email or more formally through a physical invitation, it's really important to give your guests the cues as to that sustainable and eco-friendly focus that you've decided to take. So Think about simple stipulations for guests like we have a no plastic zone. This can translate to any containers that they may decide to bring or gifts, etc. You can go as far as to say cue to eco-friendly sustainable wineries for those who might bring wine as is often a practice you know, to an evening gathering. This is really bringing a mindful element about where to shop and what companies to support. And essentially what we're doing is encouraging our guests to think about their purchases and gifts before they bring them into our homes. And we're also likely causing them to take pause a bit to think about their own practices at home and more generally on a day-to-day basis. So once we've cued the guests, there's that element of sustainability that's going to be factored into the event. As a host, you know, how do you factor that into the actual event? Like where where would you go from there post-invitation? about this like storytelling in a way and and an event is whether it's just you know an informal or a formal party it's really about like you set the scene so whether that's outdoor or indoors you know the decor elements are really key to setting that vibe and a really good piece of advice across the board is just start with what you have we're so often tempted with this long ingrained consumerism mindset to just go out and buy new But there's often lots we have right at home. Sometimes existing items are just given a new purpose. Can a low vase become a serving dish, for example? There's also now more of a, you know, use the good dishes approach, if you will, that many are leading into coming out of this time where we recognize that life can change in an instant. So stop saving all those good things for the most special occasions. We can focus on more natural decor elements. You know, they're cut flowers from our gardens, even branches and leaves. Those provide beautiful decor elements. Incorporating food items, fruit and veg as part of decor, everything from a bowl of lemons to, like, beautiful purple carrots can look great as pops of decor, and they have purpose and functionality, obviously, beyond the decor once the party's over. Where you might not have enough dishware, glassware, cutlery, even tables and chairs, consider renting. It can be less expensive than most might think and ensures you avoid buying net new for one or just a few occasions. And if you're thinking of disposable, as per that no-plastic queue at the invitation stage, and we've definitely moved beyond plastic dinnerware these days, there are options now such as bamboo plates and cutlery. They look great. They're sort of rustic, elegant, and much more eco-friendly because bamboo's a you know, renewable resource. And don't discount the idea of borrowing from friends, family, neighbors. Some might even go as far as to ask their guests to bring their own plate and glass. If it's a party of neighbors and people who aren't traveling far to your home, why not? It's a pretty low lift ask. I mean, decades ago, BYOB was a new concept and maybe it's time we move on to the concept of, you know, BYOP, bring your own plate. 
overall, I think we just shouldn't be afraid to mix and match when it comes to dinnerware, glassware, etc. We've really moved away from the stiffness of everything needs to match to a more relaxed approach to, in entertaining in general. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I, I'm on board with all of them, except for asking people to bring their own cutlery and plates. I don't know how people would feel about that. Like, I don't know how I would feel. Have you done that before? I haven't, but you know what? I've experienced it sort of in a weird way at the Brickworks. Okay, a, sure. It was, yeah, it was, it was very, I thought it was very interesting. It sort of like made you really mindful about, because often we don't think about that. It's just there. I agree with you. I'm the type of person that likes to sort of cater to my guests and yeah. make it really easy and fun and light for them. And sometimes asking them to bring things is just that extra thing to think about. But some may be, I mean, depending on how often you're throwing these gatherings, you know, it's more campy, if you will. Fair enough. I, I suppose, you know, for a get together amongst neighbors, you're right. It's probably fine if you're celebrating, you know, a 30 or 40th anniversary. Maybe you want to bring in the rented plates. I don't know. <laughs> totally. What about the food? Does it extend to the food we're actually serving people? Absolutely. I think, you know, really these days to be the most environmentally responsible when it comes to the menu, we really have to look at a plant-based emphasis on our menu. We now know that livestock production takes a significant toll on the environment and contributes to climate change in quite a significant way due to the greenhouse gas emissions. And at the conservative end of estimates, that's now 15% to greenhouse gas emissions. And more recent studies are showing upwards of 35%. People are just more aware of this now. The good news, according to a recent stat I read, is that approximately 65% of Canadians are now what's considered to be plant-curious, and that's outside of those that are already sort of fully plant-based. That means your guests are willing to add more plant-based options to their plates, so I don't think we need to shy away from this, and I think it's an exciting time to really sort of introduce maybe something new or a new recipe to your guests. So another way to bring sustainability onto the menu, particularly in these uh, summer and fall months, where we have the benefit of access to farmers markets is to make the entire menu from local farmers. Mm-hmm. You could also theme the menu as a low carbon footprint menu, as an example. You get your guests involved. You ask them at the invitation stage to share their favorite low carbon dish. Um, you can select from that to create your menu, or if it's more casual, like a potluck type affair, they could, of course, then bring that low carbon footprint dish to the party. I think we need to think, too, about food options where we might be able to incorporate what typically might be considered waste into the party in some way. I think of something like a watermelon salad. You know, the actual scooped-out watermelon becomes the the vessel in which you serve the salad, and I think that looks so creative and beautiful, and now you're not using another dish, washing another dish. That's conserving. Along the same lines, in the fall, you have a scooped-out squash. You know, you then fill that up with your rice dish, for example, and it's a great sort of bowl meets meal option. And there are so many recipe ideas online now with a numerous plant-based exclusive chefs and recipe creators. So if you're aiming for a more plant-predominant meal, there's no shortage of ideas to draw from online. Yeah, I can tell you, my son, his girlfriend is vegetarian. And, you know, during summer, we tend to eat lighter anyways. But, you know, they've been coming over for dinner on Friday nights. And, you know, historically, we'd make, you know, chicken or beef or something like that. But, of course, now... You know, I don't want to make two separate meals. So we've been focusing on vegetarian or vegetable forward dinners. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, our Friday dinners tend to be more formal than the rest of the week. And, you know, we're we're totally capable of pulling it off. I mean, it requires a little bit more thought if you're not used to it, but it's totally doable, I think. 
absolutely. I think it's just some planning and, yeah. and really changing habits a little bit. That's really what it comes down to. Okay. So I am notoriously bad at small talk at parties. So like when people, when I speak with people, we end up having like more substantial conversations than when most people would typically have. It's just me. I like, you probably shouldn't invite me to parties, but do we weave sustainability into the discussion at parties? Is that apropos? I think it's becoming apropos. I mean, celebrations, even if they're sort of a just because, you know, COVID's over, let's uh, celebrate in the backyard. They're meant to be joyful. So this isn't about necessarily getting into academic level debates that you and I might have, Jamie, about the climate crisis. But, you know, for some that might seem sort of like a buzzkill to the levity of gathering with friends and family, especially after being apart for so long. But typically stories of the day do come up when conversing with people at parties and trending conversations these days can include eco-friendly tips. Maybe it's just the new low-waste echo laundry strips that you're using. That's a shareable tip and, and really easily actionable piece of advice for some, you know, fellow guest. Or it's the exchanging of some gardening tips, telling your guests, for example, about your recent incorporation of more native flowers into your garden. Simply sharing a plant-based recipe, you know, that you served your son's girlfriend. That's planting a seed of sustainability. You can even ask your guests in advance to come ready to share a favorite, you know, sustainable habit tip with other guests if it's that kind of sort of invitation scene setting, if you will. And if you'll be having young kids at the party, for example, a craft table is always a great idea to have set up and keep them busy. And most people I know have all sorts of household recyclable items, paper towel rolls, fabric scraps. These are perfect for the kind of craft table activity that young kids love. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me again, Jamie. I appreciate it. That was Candace Best. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to avoid injuries getting back to the gym on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Are you looking for a fast track program to hit the ground running, speed up your success and build a coaching business on your own terms? You can launch your own lucrative coaching career in two days with the Certified Coach Practitioner Program. This program inspires you to take that first step in your coaching career, teaches you the ins and outs of coaching, gives you unique tools and resources for your client meetings, and offers continual support so you can start your coaching career on the right foot. With the Certified Coach Practitioner Training Program, you'll go from being busy with a desperate need for a change to running a lucrative and bankable coaching business that fits your lifestyle. For more information, visit CertifiedCoachesFederation.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Dr. Stacey Irvine is the co-founder of Totem Life Science. The philosophy and identity of Totem has been greatly influenced by her love of athletics and her passionate belief that everyone will benefit from a healthy, active lifestyle in their own unique way. 
Through her work as a chiropractor and strength and conditioning specialist, Dr. Irvine's clientele ranges from beginners just starting out on an exercise program to elite and professional athletes looking for advanced rehabilitation and training program strategies. She's made several appearances as a fitness expert on CityLine, Canada AM, Global Television, Networks, City TV, WTN, and is frequently quoted as a fitness expert in Chatelaine, Glow Magazine, More Magazine, Zoomer, and the Toronto Star. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Irvine. How are you? I'm great. Great to be here. So gyms are opening back up, huh? Yours and everybody else's, huh? Yes, and we are just thrilled. I, I have to say the energy of seeing people in person coming back is just fantastic. It's been a long time. Ontario's been locked down more than anyone, and so we are just thrilled to have people back in person. And people, after a long hiatus, are getting back to the gym and either resuming or starting their their exercise programs, but there is some risk of injury if they're not careful, right? Yes, it's a bit messy. I think we're seeing this across the board with almost every human being. One of the best examples of this was I'm originally from Saskatchewan, and so, of course, I'm a huge Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan. Mm -hmm. The players went out on the field, and this was a pre-practice, pre-camp practice. Four of the players tore their Achilles tendons completely. Oh, wow. Wow. So it just shows you that we don't really understand the huge impact that all this time off has had. And we really need to be aware of it because there's nothing more heartbreaking than being off and getting to come back and then all of a sudden you're injured, so you're off again. Yeah, <laughs> so no. it's bad. No, that's the worst. Yeah. I, I've been dealing with plantar fasciitis for the last like five, six weeks, and it's driving me mental. And I'm doing my stretches, and I'm trying to be careful, Good. but like I, it, you know, I cannot be thrown off my schedule. Like I, I can conceptualize. Let's think about some of the reasons why people may be at risk. And and, and like number one off the top of my head is you know I'll call it the COVID fifteen. Right, it's yes. like the freshman fifteen. Like people have put their yes. weight on and. Their bodies are different, right? Like they're just, they're coming at it from a different place. You're completely right. And that is the problem. So we are a different physical species coming back than we were prior to this. There's never been a time in history for us where our bodies have changed this significantly. The weight gain is a real thing. It's documented scientifically. The majority of people have gained weight during this time off. So there's three main things. Number one, we're deconditioned. Yep. Number two, our posture has changed. And number three, we have atrophy in our musculature. And that's, that goes for almost everyone because we haven't been able to get to the gym and lift the heavy weights. You know, lots of people did great at home on their own with their home gyms, but it's just not quite the same. So everyone can assume that you probably have some atrophy in your muscles. Now you add that to this feeling of panic when you get back and you've gained the weight and everyone is really pushing to try to get it off as fast as they can. Yep. And it's basically a perfect storm for all types of injuries. Yeah. And, and, you know, I would add into that if you're at home, unless you're working out in front of a mirror, dollars to donuts, your form is not as good as it was when you were, you know, regularly in class or had a trainer watching you, right? It's a natural human trait that we often cheat when we're doing exercises. And we try to find the most efficient way possible. And as our body changed during the COVID, you know, during this time off, we cheated even more. 
because yeah. it wasn't structurally set up for activity. Believe it or not, it was structurally set up for sitting in front of a computer or some other type of a screen. No kidding. <laughs> we no, all know. No, no joke, right? And, and so, like, even though, I mean, I was actually, I, I kept up my regimen of five times a week. Mm-hmm. And we have a pretty well outfitted gym, but, you know, to your point, the heaviest weights I have are 35s, and you can do a lot with 35s, but at some point, you know, you, you run out of things to do, and you can't really progress. That's exactly it. And and the thing is, is I first of all, I want to give kudos to everyone that did their home gyms and stayed active, because that was a huge feat in itself. Yeah. And all we have to do is realize you're just not quite the same coming back as you were when this all started, and that's okay. Yep. You will get there. And the key is to not panic and to start out slowly and really, you know, get some help, make sure you're watching yourself, make sure you're doing things carefully. It's so, so important because I really don't want people to get injured when they, you know, finally can get back in the gym. So what sort of preventative measures specifically are you looking at? I want everyone to really start to take some work doing things that, improve their posture. Yeah. That's kind of a number one thing. I just I just sat up straight. <laughs> Good for you. Yes. All the listeners, please sit up straight. So start to gain an awareness of that because that's going to put things in a better position so that you can get back to doing the exercises properly. The next point is obvious. Start out slowly, slower than you might think you need to. Just, you know, err on the side of caution right now and just gradually build up your volumes, gradually build up your weights. Don't go flying back into the gym and say, oh, well, I used to lift, you know, the big 45s on each side. I'm going to throw those back on just to see how it feels. Don't do that. Go down to the 25s, start there, you know, be very careful, go slow, make sure your technique is great. I would also highly recommend that people get a trainer or a professional and I would love for that professional to meet with you in person and do an assessment. Let's see what you're actually dealing with, like what's tight, what's weak, what areas maybe maintain themselves, like maybe your biceps are in fantastic shape because you did a thousand bicep curls, you know, when you couldn't do anything else. But it's really good to get a professional to look and see, okay, what are we dealing with here? What do we need to work on? And then what's the plan to make that happen safely and effectively? Yeah, that's good advice. And I would say, you know, spend time stretching, like do extra stretching. Like if you had, if you have five minutes that you do normally, maybe you double that to 10 and, and loosen things up and, and make sure. That. And, you know, I've been making a point to do some like restorative stretching at the end of these sessions. Yeah. Because, you know, your, your body, when it's all warmed up, you're able to do much better stretching at the end than you are at the beginning. Yeah. In my opinion, the restorative stretching is by far the best, you know, the most important part of it. So you end your workout, you're nice and warm, because let's face it, we've lost some range of motion in our main joints as a result of this. So we want to get that back, and we want to do it again in a gentle way that really is taking care of our body and moving it forward in a safe and effective way. So you mentioned the Achilles tears uh, (laughs) with your, your beloved Rough Riders. Yes. What are some of the injuries that, you know, we should be really specifically looking to avoid and and that you see all the time in the gym? It's a great question. There's three main areas that we're seeing. Number one is the core, and that is because of all the sitting. Okay, so those muscles, so if you think about your stomach, 
the sides of your core and your back and your glutes, actually. Those muscles have all become very deconditioned for most of us. So the injuries that result from that, most commonly low back pain. And we are seeing tons of that coming in. The other really major problem with that is what we call, you know, the psoas muscle, which is our, a lot of people refer to them as our hip flexors. So if you picture yourself sitting, those muscles have shortened up and that muscle attaches to the top of your leg. It crosses through your pelvis and it actually attaches to your low back. So when you stand up, when that muscle's tight, it is going to cause some irritation generally in your low back. So we really need to focus on our core, and that is going to prevent, you know, half the injuries we're seeing coming in. The next big one is your ankles. Because we weren't out, you know, kind of running around on courts, running around in fields, we were not playing games. As to my example with the Rough Riders, I'm seeing tons of injuries in people's ankles and feet. Mm-hmm. So they just, you know, we don't, I don't think it's necessarily a strength thing, but I think it's a proprioception. I think that because we weren't in those game situations where we were changing direction really quickly and things like that, we've lost some of that proprioception ability. So ankle strength is so crucial if you want to get back to things like tennis and squash and pickleball and, you know, anything that requires kind of those quick change of directions. You've really, really got to focus on your ankle strength and your foot strength. And then finally, shoulders. So with all the device use and all the sitting, we kind of all develop this shoulder forward posture. So you can kind of picture that hunched in feeling and, you know, it comes from being on our phone a lot, on our computer a lot. And then what happens is a shoulder joint is very mobile. So it actually kind of changes shape on us. And that can lead to when you get back to your activity, you generally will see those tendons getting irritated because your shoulder's in a different position and you'll get what's called shoulder tendinosis or rotator cuff injury. And that really applies to lots of those golfers, again, the tennis players, you know, trying to do the overhead shots. You need to get your shoulders back into a good position and then start doing, even for weightlifting, you know, any of the overhead lifts, if you're doing them with your shoulders in a forward position, you're going to to irritate those tendons. Yeah, particularly as you get older, because your ability to do the shoulder work decreases as you get older, right? You have to be careful with that. It does. And and it's really important because that injury can be so irritating. It can bother you while you're trying to sleep. It's a really common problem, but the pain that is associated with shoulder tendinosis is far greater than what the actual injury is, which is unfortunate. So we really want to avoid that one. Good advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was my pleasure. That was Dr. Stacey Irvine. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss tips for reducing anxiety on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. 
Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Heather Lillico is a registered holistic nutritionist and yoga and meditation instructor. She helps overachieving, people-pleasing perfectionists find balance in their life. Heather knows it's possible to break through anxiety and self-doubt and step into a life filled with confidence by incorporating nutrients to nourish your mind and mindfulness techniques to slow you down. For more information, you can visit heatherlillico.com or follow her on Instagram at heather underscore L-I-L. Welcome back to the show, Heather. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. Thanks for having me back. So things are finally opening up, sort of, kind of, in slow motion. Mm -hmm. And lots of people are super excited about that. You know, on Instagram, I see all these feeds of like thousands of people going to concerts in the U.S. and stuff (laughs) like that. But I think there's some people who feel anxious about the world getting back to normal. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think you're right. And it's kind of counterintuitive because we feel like... We should be fully thrilled about finally being out of lockdown and resuming some sort of normal. But I'm finding that some people feel anxious. And I think there's a few different reasons. I mean, some people might not feel comfortable yet being in public. There's this anxiety about is it truly safe to be around others? Is it safe to take the GO train or the subway? Can I be in large groups of people again? And, you know, that's a that's a perfectly valid concern. And then there's kind of a social anxiety aspect of it of, I've just spent a year alone talking to my toaster, and it feels overwhelming to remember how to socialize. I've had some clients come to me recently having panic attacks when they go into public settings because it's so unfamiliar and overwhelming. And then there's anxiety about your routine changing. Maybe you're starting to commute again. And anytime we have a shift or a change in our routine, it makes us feel anxious because it's an unknown. And that's really what anxiety hinges on is having so many unknowns that it's stressful. Yeah, I'm in the last camp. I'm okay with communicating and traveling and doing all the rest of it. It's what I'm struggling with is planning for stuff that I didn't have to plan for before and and sort of wrapping my mind around planning holidays or this and that. So that's where I'm struggling. Yeah, the planning and just having this different schedule to adapt to. I think for some people, when they were at home, their work-life balance was actually better because they had, you know, not commuting time. They had time to schedule in their exercise, their mindfulness, whatever other things they wanted to do. Right. So what's your number one tip for coping with all these unknowns? My number one tip is to be kind to yourself. We don't have to go from zero to 100. You know, we need to acknowledge that what we've just been through, what we are still going through, is stressful and how much that affected our lives. So, you know, not subscribing to the pressure that your calendar needs to be packed full again. And to all my overachievers out there, I think COVID was probably extra hard because you didn't have the distraction of of constantly doing something. And I mean, for everyone, you know, there's the pressure to be constantly doing something productive at all times. And so we don't need to have our calendar full. We can take the time to ease back into things. Yeah, that makes sense. What else would you recommend? Yeah, a couple other things to try. One is to focus on what you can control. So when we're feeling anxious, it's often because we feel like we don't have control over the outcome of things and what's going on. But you can control things like your bedtime, 
having a solid sleep routine, limiting your news and social media intake, making time for exercise, focusing on what foods you're taking in, healthy, real, whole foods. All of these things help manage anxiety, as does mindfulness, even if it's just a few breaths pausing in your day to reset or, you know, using a a full guided meditation with an app like Insight Timer, Headspace, or, or Calm, any of those. We know that mindfulness can help anxiety. And another tip is to watch out for any all or nothing thinking. This is where we feel like if we don't have time for a full workout, a full meditation, then what's the point? And if you're commuting again and have less time, you know, even just 10 minutes a day of an activity like that. Research shows that 10 minutes a day of exercise or meditation can be beneficial for long-term health. And finally, sort of exploring what your comfort level is. You know, now is the time to set and stick to boundaries. As a personal example, I've decided that at least for a little bit, I'm not going to go back into the yoga studio to teach. I'm going to stay online. I'm just not there yet with my comfort level. And that's okay. Everyone gets to decide what their personal comfort level is. Okay, so is the goal to aim for not being anxious at all? Or, you know, is there a little bit of residual anxiety that we can probably cope with? Yeah, I mean, it would be unrealistic to expect that we'd have no anxiety. We've just been through something traumatic that completely shifted the way we live our lives. So let's give a bit of grace here to to ease back in. And anxiety can come up when something feels new or uncertain. Well, hello, there's a ton of that happening right now. So some anxiety, I think, is normal. When it becomes an issue is, you know, when we're out in public and we're having panic attacks, when we start to avoid situations because they could cause anxiety, that's when our box of acceptable activities becomes smaller and smaller. And it's a, it's a balance, right? We don't want to do things because they cause anxiety, but we don't want to completely avoid them because it becomes a big thing and the anxiety builds. And each person gets to decide what level of anxiety is tolerable. If seeing your friends is important for your overall health, and I think that it is, then, you know, you may trade off a little bit of feeling anxious the first few times until you get used to it again. So some anxiety is going to be normal. Yeah. Yeah. I understand, you know, being kind to yourself and sort of easing back into it. I think at some point, though, people are going to have to extend themselves, right? Because the expectations were during COVID, everybody's just going to have to do what they have to do in order to cope. But when things sort of get back to normal, I think most people's expectations are that at some point, everybody has to make an effort to get back into the swing of things. It's a delicate balance, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we are going to, you know, get back into into the swing of things. I think this is where we have our, our coping mechanisms, our tools, like yeah. mindfulness and our outlets, and things that will help bring that anxiety down and make it feel just like a little bit more okay to get back into it. So off the top, you said the number one tip was, you know, to be kind to yourself. So can you sort of expand upon the concept of self-compassion? Yeah, I think self-compassion is the missing ingredient in a lot of our lives. I know I've certainly been hard on myself throughout the pandemic, expecting myself to show up at with 100% effort all the time, but we need to change the rules and expectations. This is unchartered territory. And so self-compassion is that little comforting voice that says, 
this is hard. It's okay. You're doing the best that you can. And it's difficult for many people to find that voice. We're taught to always be achieving and being hard on ourselves is the best way to get there. You know, just suck it up, get over it, those kinds of things. But I think the rules have changed now. So here's what I recommend for self-compassion is ask yourself, what would I say to a close friend who is in this same situation? Because it's often easier for us to give compassion to others than to ourselves. So we can figure out what kind of words or sentiments would I offer to them. And then also acknowledging that other humans are feeling this same way. There's this shared humanity of all going through this together. You're not the only one that feels anxious. And this is why I run group programs for anxiety, because hearing someone else say, hey, I feel that way too, is is so comforting. And it brings this level of softness to your experience, which can reduce anxiety. And in fact, researchers have shown that self-compassion can be an effective motivational tool. And I think it feels better than being hard on ourselves and setting expectations that are just too high. Do you think for some, though, that like being, you know, focusing on self-compassion ultimately may become limiting? In other words, you, you know, you're giving yourself too much of an out? Well, that's a great point. And it is it is a balance there, too, right? Because we don't want to give ourselves so much compassion that we don't act at all. Like, if you are giving yourself compassion to the point where you don't leave your house, you are just sitting on your couch, you're not making any action, then yeah, it's, it's tipped the balance there and it's no longer a helpful tool. I think where it can be beneficial is for those people who are hard on themselves and feel like they're pushing themselves too much to the point where we're getting towards that like panic territory or anxiety yeah. is just rising all the time and, and you really can't live your life, then I think bringing in that element of softness, that self-compassion can be helpful. Okay. So if someone is out and they're starting to feel panicked or, you know, a feeling of unease, what can they do? Yeah. I've, I've had certainly throughout the pandemic, I've had this experience in a, in a grocery store, you know, feeling surrounded by people. Everybody's all masked up. It's hard to breathe. I felt panicky or some clients have mentioned that now that they're starting to hang out with friends again in, in larger groups, they feel an anxiety attack start to come on. So I recommend grounding into the present. And you can focus on the breath, but I actually find it more anxiety-inducing because when we're stressed out, our breath feels very short and shallow. So you could try to lengthen it out and take deep belly breaths, but I actually find having some sort of external focus can be helpful. So you can do this by narrating what you see around you. So if I was at the grocery store and I started to feel panicky, I'd say, either mumbling in your mask, which is kind of a benefit of being masked up. You can talk to yourself and nobody knows, uh, or, you know, just in your head. And you'd say something like, I see a red apple. It's about palm size. I'm picking it up. I feel the texture of it. It's smooth. I'm placing it in my cart. It's almost like your life has descriptive video on it. You're narrating everything that you're doing, and it helps you focus on the present and disrupt that pattern of anxiety, those spiraling thoughts that you're probably having, and it calms your nervous system out of panic mode. Okay. We have time for one last question real quick. What is the role of diet in helping us deal with our anxiety? Oh, it's so big. It's so big. You know, I'm always talking about the role of food and how it helps mood because we need, we need these building blocks. So if you're looking for some anxiety calming foods, I'd recommend starting with the gut. Uh, as your first place, because many of our mood-boosting neurotransmitters are produced there, and when we feel anxious, our digestion and our gut become unhappy. So a couple of foods that you could focus on would be your fermented foods, things like yogurt, kefir, tempeh, sauerkraut, kimchi. These all provide, provide beneficial bacteria 
And then also foods that feed the bacteria in your gut. We call them prebiotics. And these are things like apples, onions, artichokes, fennel. Those are all great. And whole grains are also beneficial. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. What would you like to talk about the next time you're on? I'd love to chat about confidence next time. I'm feeling like a lot of people need a a dose of a confidence boost right now. Fantastic. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Candace Best, Stacey Irvine, and Heather Lillico. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The July-August issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.